don't give up ever. If it's something you love, don't give up because you'll always get through it and then you'll learn something from it. And then you can use that to become even better. And then the next time you're stuck, you'll gain something new. You're listening to Femcanic Garage, the podcast that features women in the automotive and motorsports industries. A community that elevates, empowers, and evolves by smashing stereotypes and breaking down barriers for women. I'm your host, Jamie Blossman. Buckle up for the ride, Femcanics. Amanda Byers is in the driver's seat today. She is the owner of Amanda Marie Upholstery. She has over 14 years' experience doing upholstery for Gulfstream Aerospace, a Ferrari restoration shop, and concourse-level restorations. Amanda leads us through her journey of entrepreneurship as a custom automotive upholstery shop. Sit back and enjoy the ride. Hello, Femcanics. This is Jamie B coming to you, and I have Amanda Beyer in the driver's seat today. How are you doing today, Amanda? I am doing fantastic. Thank you so much for having me here today. I'm so excited. It is my absolute pleasure. And I found you, as with many other women, on Instagram, and it was your work that drew me to you. And but first, I didn't find your page directly. What I ended up finding was the T-Bird page. And it started (laughs) there. And then I just kept digging and digging. And I'm like, my God, because finding amazing people that do amazing work in upholstery is one thing. Finding a female that does next level upholstery is like a unicorn. (laughs) So you're like a diamond in the rough because this is one of those things where I'm like, oh, wow, this is really cool. And we had some back and forth trying to connect to get this podcast done. And we finally nailed it. We're here right now. And I am super excited to have you on here. And I'm glad I found you. Well, thank you. I am I am so excited about all of this. And thank you for all your kind No, words. it's well-deserved, my friend. Well-deserved. And from the, the pre-recorded bio, the listeners have an idea of who you are and what you're about. But what I'd like to do is kind of back it up a little bit and learn a little bit about your journey and how you got to here. Because your resume is freaking impressive like I'm like I'm like I I read your pre-interview form I'm like good lord like it's so humble about it I'm like wow so what got you into this have you always wanted to play with cars and tinker around with cars and upholstery um not so much upholstery but definitely cars I grew up my dad has always been a big car guy and I always wanted to follow in his footsteps, but um, he didn't want me to become a mechanic. And I kind of agreed that it just wasn't going to allow me to get my creativeness out of me. So I ended up going to school for interior design, but only because they had an upholstery class. And I thought, this is my chance to work with cars and 
be able to get my creative side out. So I started the interior design program. I have to pause you for a second. When I think of interior design, I automatically think house. Yeah. And that's what it was. It was, it was about houses and that's why I dropped out (laughs) because I didn't really see myself doing that. But the upholstery part is what I really wanted to get into. And I did actually learn a lot from interior design, just in how textiles and different colors go together. And it really did teach me a lot about how I can um, kind of design and customize interiors on cars, too. So it wasn't a complete loss. I still gained a lot from from that experience, Um, but it just it wasn't you know, the interior design portion, the house stuff that didn't really interest me. Which makes sense. So you started off there. How many years were you in school doing that? Um, I was only in school Got for about it. a year before I And then out. how you always knew that you wanted to t- tinker around with cars. What was your mm-hmm. next stepping stone then? While I was trying to figure everything out, I was a bartender and one of my regulars came in. She worked at Gulfstream Aerospace and she got me my foot in the door working for them as a contractor. And I had very little sewing experience when I first started there. So they had me doing things that the customer would never ever see like maintenance runners and like maintenance covers that you put over the seats while mechanics are working so they don't get dirty (laughs) things where it doesn't matter if your seams are straight or not. And, um, I eventually got hired on as an employee and I worked my way up to being able to work on the seats. And, um, I kind of went through all of the different, shops because they were separated by the carpet shop and then there was the panel shop and I kind of got to have experience in all of the different shops and that really helped out in automotive because I already got to experience all of that I got to see what it's like to pattern carpet and to bind it and how to cover panels properly so that all of your double corners or your double cuts on your corners are nice and straight. And it was a lot of real detailed work. And I don't know if you've ever seen the inside of a Gulfstream aircraft. I was actually going to ask you, Amanda, I, I don't want to assume all the listeners know exactly what that is. That, and what I mean by that, that company. Can you kind of back up and maybe explain what that company is just in case folks aren't? hundred percent sure. Sure. They're an aircraft company that not only builds, but also restores their aircraft. They're the most luxurious and elegant airplanes in the sky. They're built for big fortune 500 companies and people like Oprah Winfrey and Tom Cruise and Lance Armstrong. And I got to meet a couple of them. Oh, really? It was, yeah, well, Lance Armstrong. I saw him from afar. It's still pretty cool. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't like I got to have a conversation with him or anything, but it was That's still neat. way cool. <laughs> These are aircraft that are for elite, very rich people. Yes. Yep, a lot of royalty. 
from different countries that um, got wow. their airplanes done. And they're just unbelievable. Every gold plated stuff and the most amazing wood you've ever seen. <laughs> not anything you would ever see in a house, not my house. Wow, this sounds like an amazing experience because you got to see so many different areas. Now, yeah, how long were definitely. you with Gulfstream? I was there for about seven ago. years. Okay. So mm-hmm. you literally, it sounded like you moved to each different shop as it relates to all yep. things all interior. Mm-hmm. So what made you yep. leave there then? Uh, there was a job opening at a local Ferrari restoration shop. I'm chuckling here. I, had- <laughs> I referenced it before. <laughs> but I'm like, talk about an impressive resume. I mean, from Gulfstream. So, ah, let's go try out Ferrari. <laughs> but go ahead. <laughs> It was such a a different world. And I don't think I truly understood the difference between aircraft interiors and automotive interiors until I got to automotive interiors. And I realized I had no idea what I was doing. Can you share the the main differences? (laughs) Well, just in how they're constructed. Like when you're working on a Gulfstream aircraft, the everything is Velcroed together and in automotive, it's hog rings and tie downs. And it's just a lot of process differences. And the way that you do aircraft seats and the layers of the foam and the sculpting of it, it's just so different than in the automotive Is one easier world. than the other? I, I mean, when I hear Velcro, I'm like, boy, that seems like a hell of a lot easier to work with than hog ties. <laughs> I wouldn't say one is easier than the other. They're both, you just need experience to do both of them. <laughs> and then once you have the experience, it is it is what it mm-hmm. is. It isn't, I mean, it's always a challenge. You're always learning and growing. It never, it never stops. But to say that one is easier than the other, I don't know as though I would be able to say which How one. How did you easier. land the job at Ferrari? You just applied? One of my friends, boyfriends, sisters, husbands. Oh, wow. Okay. (laughs) Networking. We'll just leave it as networking. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. Yep. He had a pretty good position working there, and he kind of got me my foot in the door, and they didn't really have anybody else, (laughs) so they were... They were very happy to have found me. The upholstery is such a a dying trade. It's such a dying art. And there isn't it's, too many It's sad. And it is such an art form. When you see good upholstery, I, it, it is, I have such respect for what you do. Did you have Thank to do you. an interview? What is an upholstery yeah. interview like? <laughs> um. Well, they don't know because they're not upholsters themselves. So I don't really think that they really knew what questions to ask either besides what have you done and what kind of experience do you have? And the owner of the shop that I worked at also came from Gulfstream before, before it was Gulfstream, it was Casey Aviation. And he left there to start his own business. And 
he is one of my biggest inspirations in all of this and just seeing what he was able to build and his passion is what led him. Can you share his name? Uh, Wayne Obrey was his name. He passed away, which was really unfortunate. He was a a really, really It sounds like it played a major role in inspiring you. Oh, absolutely. A hundred percent. He was a huge part of, I mean, he, he believed in me and hired me without really knowing what I was capable of. And I wish that I would have been able to get more training so I didn't have to fight to figure it all yeah. out on my own. But I was very lucky to have met um, Mike Curley, who is a concourse coach trimmer out in New Hampshire. And he came to visit the shop to check on one of the cars we were working on. And he took me under his wing. And man, I talked to him still probably almost at least once a week, if not more than that, just asking him questions and learning and about upholstery and business. And he's been a huge, huge part of where I am today as well. I love hearing that. Let me add a little more context to this. Femcanic Garage is about inspiring and empowering women in the automotive, uh, motorsports, and just skilled traits. And what some people have this misconception around is that women empowerment equals male disempowerment. And that's not the case at all. It's, it's, let's do this together. And so many women that I've talked to have mentors that are men that, that, Mm. you know, it's about keeping the art form alive and it's Mm -hmm. not about gender. And that's really where we all just want to arrive at because unfortunately there are women who experience men that are chauvinistic towards them because Mm -hmm. they're a female. But I just love hearing that. It's just a a true mutual respect is what it sounds like and true mentorship. Oh, absolutely. And I would say 99% of the men that I've worked for, A, gave me a hard time in the beginning, but B, ended up being some of my biggest mentors. I mean, I don't have a single negative thing to say about any of the guys that I've worked with. I'm married to one of them. (laughs) Is that how you met your husband? Yeah, we worked at the Ferrari restoration shop together. He worked there for 11 years before I got there. And he is, man, one of the most talented men I've ever met in my life. He's a metal fabricator. That's an art form in itself right there. Oh my goodness, he can do things with metal that I can't do with leather. It's unreal. It it is such an art form. I I interviewed uh, Madison Irving, and she's being mentored uh, around metal fabrication as well. And it it just, hearing her talk about the use of the English wheel and having to understand the different types of metals and how they stretch and shrink. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like my mind yeah. was blown. <laughs> like I have no... A lot of science behind it for sure. Yes. It's, wow. That is, that's amazing. So 
you went to the Ferrari restoration shop and the in and, and if I'm following you correctly, the owner of the Ferrari restoration shop was the individual that was a huge inspiration to you. You got yes. a two for yeah. one deal. Not only did you get a job, but you got a husband there too. <laughs> It was really a great experience. <laughs> you got a twofer right there. What was your experience like? So you went in for the interview. You got the job. Talk to us a little bit about that because I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of listeners that are sitting there thinking, my God, working at a restoration shop in general is cool, but a Ferrari restoration shop, what was that like? It was unbelievable. It was the biggest learning experience in my life, I think. And just watching a car come in that was in a barn fire where there is absolutely nothing left to it, but black and white photographs that you have to try to recreate this thing to. And to be able to watch each of the different departments in the shop, just nail it. They are unbelievably talented and all off of black and white photos. They have a historian that does all of the digging to find all of the information about these cars. And he has these like photo album books and that's what we have to go off to build these cars. It's unreal. It was a challenge. It was a huge, huge challenge. Cause like I said before, my, my background was Gulfstream aircrafts. I didn't know what I was doing, (laughs) you know, but I figured it out and it was really rewarding. And especially once I met Mike and things just started kind of coming together. And then I was starting to realize, you know, just how much of a passion I had for this stuff. Just to keep the listeners honest, Mike is. Mike is my mentor. The years from vintage Ferraris clear to current, or is it just all vintage? There were a few current ones, not many. They were mostly the vintage ones, like the the Lusos and the 250 short wheelbases and the PF Coupes and TDFs and all of the, the real old ones that you would see at Pebble Beach. We restored them for um, concourse shows around the world, like Pebble Beach, Milli Milia, Amelia Island, Cavallino, um, shows like that. Do you that. ever pause and just like pinch yourself? All the time. I feel really blessed. I really do. Think about this. There's people who go and do restorations. But what what really blew me away in your pre-interview form is how the the attention to detail that you do. You, You don't just restore it. The way in which you restore it. So the process in which in the techniques that you use to redo the upholstery, you try to, to the best of your knowledge and your research, to do it the exact same way they would have done in the factory. Yes, absolutely. You have to. And I want the listeners to pause and think about that for a moment. Like, it's not doing it the way that you know how to do it. You, Amanda, may have to do it six different ways, depending on... Mm -hmm the the particular vehicle or maybe year and i understand you focused on ferrari but today you do other cars other than ferraris but Mm -hmm. to to restore for concourse is a whole nother level and not all the listeners may understand what that is 
it, could you give like the, you know, 80,000 foot level of understanding of there's restoration and then there's concourse restoration? Everything is judged um, on a hundred point scale and it's all based off of how original the car is. Even though it was restored, it has to be how historically original it is. And the more original, obviously, the better the score. And it's, it's quite an accomplishment if you get a hundred point car. And there's been very few that we've done that haven't been 100-point cars. They look at everything coming from the interior perspective. They look at the stitching. They look at how many stitches per inch. They look at the materials used. Um, The differences between, say, Pininfarina Coach Builder and a Scaglietti Coach Builder Pininfarina is top of the line. Everything was leather. Everything was high-end, beautiful, plush, and gorgeous. And Scagliati was a mixture of leather and vinyl where they could get away with it. And they still used the, the Wilton wool carpets and stuff, but it just wasn't that high, high-end of a, of a car. I guess. I mean, it was still a Ferrari. Obviously, it's still high end, but Pininfarina was like the. It's the funny to think of, of the cheaper version of a Ferrari. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, so they look at the materials that you use and like the shapes of everything just to make sure that everything. And then they go off of historical um, photos that they I'm, have. I'm just in awe right now. You've brought up the mentor multiple times. And when I think about this and you learning about all that and how to get to that point where you're doing upholstery for concourse restorations, right? That That's a journey in itself right there, a learning journney. But mm-hmm. it's it just blows me away and where I'm just trying to process that. And I'm sure the listeners are too when they're thinking about it. But there's something that you said in your pre-interview when I'm thinking about like that mentorship and, and you going through that journey is you said it's so nice having the support of such talented men who treat me as an equal. Mm-hmm. And that sounds so basic, but there's so many women that I've interviewed where that's all they crave. Just treat me as equal. Respect me and yeah. treat me as equal. And your journey has been blessed to have given you that. And and it's not just blessed. You you clearly have earned it as well. And I'm sure if I sat down your husband or coworkers at the Ferrari shop or Gulfstream, they would have positive things to say about you because you've earned that right as well. I hope so. <laughs> I mean, anyone that I've worked with and I've observed is being treated equal. And it's not about being one of the guys. You don't have to give up your femininity to be one of the guys. That's that's not what this is about. This is just about mutual respect. I definitely wouldn't say that I've given up any of my femininity for any of the the men that I've worked with. I, I 
try to stay pretty true to who I am. And I think that they respect that. I think that they see that I'm not trying to trying to be somebody that I'm not. I'm just trying to be the best at what I love to do. And they help me to get there. They, they work with me as a team and um, sharing my shop with um, Perush Automotive Craftsmanship. Austin is the owner and we, Austin, Nick and myself, Nick is my husband, sorry. Um, we all came from the Ferrari restoration shop and that's where we all got our experience from. Some of our experience from Austin did some stuff before then, but um, we all just kind of work together and we share some of the same customers and we always are sharing each other's posts on Facebook to try to help each other out. And it's just a really great environment to be a part of. Anytime I have a problem that I need help thinking through. They're the most amazing brainstormers I've ever met. <laughs> I just love the fact that I can come to Nick and be able to say, I don't understand why this is happening. And he will sit there with me and talk it out and try to figure it out with me. And it just, you don't see that all the everywhere. It's true. <laughs> now, just out of curiosity, because you, you've been in this space what advice would you give other women that maybe are in, in unhealthy environments? What would you say to them experiencing what you've experienced? Stay true to who you are. And David Kirkham gave me some really great advice. Of don't let the ba- bastards get you down. <laughs> and uh, I think that that's really great advice. Don't let them get you down you are there for a reason you are there because you love what you do and just focus on that focus on being better focus on learning and ask questions even if they're being jerks or whatever just try to try to work with them try to make them see that you're not there to mess up their life, (laughs) you know, like some people or some men get kind of possessive over their trade. Like you don't belong here, but once they see that you do belong there because you are good at what you do or because you do have a passion in it, they might just let up a little bit. And the reality is it's not their trade. It's all of our trade. (laughs) <laughs> it's right. all of it right? right how long were you at the ferrari shop then i was there for about five, five years. years we fast forward i think i read in there you were pregnant with your first child while you were there right Yep. Mm-hmm. and you met your husband there as well what was yep. that like now i've i've interviewed women that are painters and they got mm-hmm. pregnant from an upholstery standpoint and being in the automotive industry, what was that like being pregnant? How, how did you work that and being out on maternity leave? Do you, do you mind chatting a little bit about that? Sure. It was miserable. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It was so hard once my belly got big to be able to get underneath of a dash and do carpet. It was, it was hard to use, my chemicals 
you know, obviously I had restrictions I had to be on, so I couldn't do everything that I normally could. And I had to ask for help a lot more, which isn't always a fun thing. How did your coworkers respond? They were all really great. I can think of maybe one comment that really made me mad, but other than that, everybody was super supportive. Everybody was super helpful. They never let me lift anything heavy. Even if I wanted to, they wouldn't let me. Um, they were just, they were just are great. You, are you willing to share what that comment was? Not by whom, but. <laughs> um, it was, I will blast his name out. It was Cliff Eben. <laughs> <laughs> and he said that um, I was getting a lot of junk in my trunk. Oh. And it was true, but I was so <laughs> emotional <laughs> that I just didn't want to that, hear it. That's not too bad. I thought you were <laughs> – I've heard some unbelievably inappropriate vulgar things, but yeah. that's very mild compared to <laughs> – Yeah, and we we laugh about it yeah. now, and it was totally innocent. Right, I right. mean, it was offensive, yes, but – was it the worst? No, it wasn't the worst. If you want to hear offense, like truly disgusting offensive stuff, and I don't even know how these men are even allowed to work in shops, uh, listen to Brandy Goff's interview. I My oh, heart God. goes out to her and shame on those men. Like That sounds like it was you guys had some back and forth playful banter about it. <laughs> Yeah. Yep. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How did you, did you end up having to work something out with your employer or the owner to f- figure out, obviously there's limitations. You had to be careful around chemicals, lifting different things, but then also being out and see, these are, these are big differences between men and women specifically around pregnancy. A man can go in for their child's birth and if maybe take a Friday off if the baby's born on Friday and be back on Monday, technically, if they needed to be. It's different right. for women. So how what was that process like in preparing for that? And what were those conversations like with your employer? It was really scary. The company that I worked for, they were not prepared for that at all. I mean, I'm the only female that had worked on the floor ever that they've ever had. And they just weren't ready for that. (laughs) They didn't know what to do. And they ended up telling me that they wouldn't fire me and that I would have a job when I got back, but that they wouldn't give me any sort of um, maternity leave pay or anything. So I had to try to save as much money as I could before birth or giving birth, um, going into labor, sorry. Um, and then I, I was only able to get four weeks before I had to go back to work and I had a C-section. So I should have been off a lot longer, but I just, yeah, I couldn't. And (laughs) that's a common thing that I hear as well. And men that listen to this, if you own a shop, it's just about preparing like just yep. thinking about it, you know, what what would you want for your wife? And a lot of times uh, men will comment like, well, yeah, we've just never had one. So we didn't have to think about it. It's like, well, create space for that and think about it. And right. a simple 
question that I always ask men when they start asking me about, okay, if I want to create something, you know, a work environment that is safe and open for everyone and women included, what would that look like? I said, well, if you're asking about women, what would you want for your mother? What would you want for your wife? What would you want for your daughter? Yeah. There's your answer. What kind yeah. of environment would you want them to work in? And for me, I, I have a 12-year-old daughter. It, it becomes crystal clear what I would want for them. And then that's right. what you try. You do your best to create. How did that work? Did you just go in and say, hey, can we sit down and talk about this? Like if, if I'm if I'm a female in the industry... And I'm like, man, I don't know quite how to tackle this. What advice would you tell women? Like, what process would you recommend they give it a give a whirl? Don't be scared. It'll all work out. Um, and just be open and honest. They can't do anything against you because of it. They can't fire you because you're pregnant. The worst that they can do is what they did to me. And you make it through because you have to. And because your kid's worth Mm. it. So well said. So well said. And it's interesting because you just mentioned about fear. And you brought that up a couple of times. You had a lot of great one-liners in your pre-interview form. You're a great writer. I don't know if anyone's ever told you that. But you articulate very well. And I'm going to share this. One of the pre-interview questions that I ask is around what message do you hope to convey to the listener? And this was your response. The message I hope to convey to listeners is that it's never too late. You're not too old and you have to move past the fear of the unknown. Feel the fear, acknowledge it, but don't let it stop you. And I'm like, God, that's good. That That's like a hashtag moment. And <laughs> That's good stuff. And and it's it's simple, but yet it can be hard. Absolutely. Fear is one of the hardest things to get past. And it holds so many people back from living their dreams because they just can't they can't move past it. They like get paralyzed by it and then they just stay in their comfort zone. And I always wonder, well, what would have happened if I stepped past that fear? What would have happened if I would have just said, okay, I'm scared. So let's do this (laughs) because the reward in the end is going to be so much greater than if you just stay where you're at. And even to piggyback off that, one of the other questions I ask in the pre-interview is I ask all my guests, what has been your, your biggest career failure? In your response to this was, I'm going to share it as well, because it's just awesome. You said, my biggest failure was not realizing that failures are my most valuable teachers. Letting myself get down about making mistakes or doing things wrong. I love failures. I learn so much from them. And I always level up after realizing where I went wrong. It's absolutely amazing and so well said and and I love how you refer to it as leveling up because you do you do when Mm -hmm. it's like you you have to break yourself open in order to get to that next level absolutely love that now you were at the shop for five years at what point 
Were you like, you know, I think it's time to move on? There were a couple of things. When my daughter was born, I, I wanted to show her that she can do anything. And I had to do that by example. And also when Wayne passed away, Wayne Obrey, the owner of the shop, the passion kind of died with him. And I needed to work for a company that, that held that same passion that I held for the cars that I was working on. And if I wasn't going to find it where I was, I was going to create it myself with my husband. And that's what we did. We walked into the office together one day holding hands and said that it was, we were putting our two weeks in and that we were going to be starting our Ooh, own company. We. <laughs> because that's literally both incomes, putting all your eggs in one basket. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was scary. It was that is amazing. Uh, probably not smart, <laughs> but we live past. I the got fear. goosebumps <laughs> when you said it. I'm like, that is awesome. Absolutely terrifying and so liberating too. We figure we have each other that will never go away. And we can always get back to the point where we can start working on those cars again. It'll take time, but we're going to do it. That was your firstborn that we were just talking about, your, your daughter. Yep. You have four children now. Yep. Um, three of them are um, Nick's from his previous okay, marriage. Okay, and then you have one together. Got yep. it. So you're a bonus mom, and you have three yep. bonus children. Absolutely. They're amazing. Congratulations. And what are their ages? Oh, goodness. We got an eight-year-old. I'm sorry, an 11-year-old, an eight-year-old, a six-year-old, and one turning four. Wow. So the 11-year-old is a boy or a girl? A girl. And how how many boys and girls? I got two girls, two boys. Two of each. The old. And the youngest are the girls, and then the boys are the two middle ones. That is awesome. Well, shout out to them. They, they, I can hear you smile through the microphone when you talk about them. <laughs> They're great. They're such good kids, and they got such Not big taking hearts. anything away from your husband at all. Uh, it's just, I'd say, more accepted men being in the automotive industry than women. Mm-hmm. What do they think about mom? In what you do? I think it's just normal for them. I don't think that they see it as really anything. I think it's just, that's what my mom does. That's just who she is. <laughs> I don't think that they see it as different or or anything. I just, I think they just Nick's think your husband's normal. name, right? His children mm-hmm. from the previous marriage. Do they call you mom? Every once in a while. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> How old were they when you and your husband were married? Jax was three. So it'd be three, five. Wow, those are great ages. Yeah, they were so much fun. They're still so much fun. We used to do a lot yeah. of park time. We were always going to parks together. It was so I, much I just fun. love it. And I, I love talking about family on here. My youngest son, he 
is such a helper. He wants to organize my screw bins and organize my toolbox drawers. And ever since this whole COVID pandemic, they've been coming up to the shop all the time now. And they're always learning something, learning how my youngest one's learning hand-eye coordination with screws and a block of wood and nails. And That's awesome. It's just great. It's great to to have my family there with me. And I I wouldn't ever consider applying for a job anywhere else. It just wouldn't feel right. <laughs> and I knew that from the beginning, that there's just nothing else that I wanted to Absolutely. do. Absolutely. The daughter that you birthed, is she the youngest? Mm-hmm. Yep. And she's how old right now? She is three turning three four. turning four. When's her birthday? September twenty sixth. Oh, so is she a Virgo technically, or is she right past the cusp? I'm not even sure. I couldn't even tell you. My birthday's September thirteen. I'm a Virgo, so oh, that's why yeah. when you said September, I'm like, ooh, oh. you go, girl. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! I, I when you were sitting there talking about, it, I just got goosebumps because I my fondest memories of my childhood are by far going over to my stepdad's uh, barn, his goat goat. It was a goat farm, but it's not it wasn't anymore it was literally storage for all his cars and he would work on all his cars and stuff and they were my fondest memories going to his shop and i'm mm-hmm. i'm just imagining your four children over there and it, how amazing that will be and those are memories that they will probably never forget and may even shape what they end up doing for a career I hope so. I hope they take good, good feelings from all of it and that they enjoy their time up there. I know that the younger ones do. I think that maybe the older ones get a little bored sometimes, but I try to include them as much as yeah, I can. Yeah, I know what too. you mean. I'm, I'm starting to just get my daughter involved uh, in Femcanic Garage and it's trying to f- strike that balance where it's something that they can help with. Um, and still be true to their age. And it is a magical mm-hmm. thing being able to incorporate your family into something you love, isn't it? Absolutely is. That's, that's the good stuff right there. That is the good stuff. The name of your restoration, or well, is it just yours or is it your husband and yours? Um, it's both of ours. It's Manda Maria Polstry. Um, but he's definitely a big And that's been it. open for two years now. I'm actually into my third year. When we when we wrote the the um, questionnaire out, <laughs> that was a while ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you're into your third year now, and how are things going? They're going great. I've learned so much and continue to learn so much. It was a little rough in the beginning. It was it was a challenge trying to get my name out there and people coming in and wanting work done. I had started out in my garage in our shop here at home and it was kind of cramped, but we made it work. And then um, Austin, who we worked with at Motion Products, um, wanted to get a new shop for his business and asked if we wanted to um, 
join with him and kind of go halves on the shop together. A year and three months after starting my business, I outgrew the shop and moved into 6,000 square feet with Austin. And we already feel like we are at full capacity at all times and need even more space. (laughs) You go, girl. That's what I'm talking about. (laughs) It's, It's been really great. Since we moved into that shop, our our sales have just skyrocketed. It was one of the, I think, the best moves that we've made was getting the the new shop and just the the nicer space. It was so clean. It was a twenty year old building, but it looked brand new. It's really a gorgeous. gorgeous well, and I bet you that was a scary thing, making the commitment to a bigger shop and a bigger payment. It was, but I knew. I just knew it was for the best and that the universe gives you exactly what you need at the exact moment that you need it. And you just have to open your eyes and realize that it's the universe's way of saying, this is your next step. You need to take this. Mm. And if I would have turned my head to it and followed the fear in me, I would still be working in my garage and potentially might be struggling, but I didn't. I listened to to my intuition and I went with it and it, it was a great What decision. would you share with the listeners as probably your biggest lessons learned in going out on your own and starting your own business? Don't be afraid to make mistakes because you learn from them and you grow from them. And that's why we have them. You're not going to get everything right the first time anyways. (laughs) You know, like it takes a while to get this stuff down. And the first five years is just about learning. At least that's what I've been told. (laughs) I'm I'm excited to get past that five-year mark where I can say I've learned from all of my mistakes now. (laughs) But I'm still there. I'm still making mistakes all the time. But you just got to keep going. Don't ever stop. Don't. don't I think probably what, what I think I'm hearing you say is keep showing up. Just keep yeah. showing up and, and don't give up after a year. Look yep. at this for the long haul. Yep. Cause the first year is hard. It's so hard. <laughs> and just know that, just know from the very beginning that, Hey, year one's going to be a little rough, but you'll what was the hardest thing for you and your husband in year one. I think the financials and the inconsistent income, we, we were, you know, both used to having a paycheck come every week and then to not have that anymore. <laughs> that was, that was a really big struggle. What got struggle. you through it? Each other. Our support for each other. And just the mindset that this is, This is our future. This is what we're building. And we just know that we just need to get past this rough spot because it's what it is. It's a rough spot. It's not, it's not permanent. It's not a permanent struggle that we're going to be going through. It's a temporary struggle until the next temporary struggle. And I have one question just out of pure curiosity. What's your maybe top two or three favorite builds you've had an opportunity to work on? Oh, goodness. 
I would say in my Ferrari days, definitely the 275 GTB4 cams. Those are whew, beautiful cars. They, um, the sound, my God, they're just amazing. When I was pregnant with Zoe, my youngest, my daughter, um, we had one in the shop that I was doing the interior on and they were doing some test runs and I'd stand out <laughs> by the car and she'd just be kicking away in there. I think she got as excited about it as I was. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> um, but that was definitely um, my favorite interior at that time. And then when I own my own business, I would definitely have to say the 1959 T-Bird, Mom's T-Bird for SEMA 2019. Molly Steve Gursky from Driven Restoration. But Molly's amazing. And I had a chance to meet her and see in person the T-Bird. I was at SEMA in 2019 and made a very purposeful stop there to see it. And oh, I'm so glad you did. Absolutely gorgeous. I mean, not only your interior, the exterior, just the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So tastefully done. It's just a beautiful car. And it goes along with a beautiful story, too. Yeah, it really did. That whole, the whole car was just filled with love. From Can you share just a high level of the story of the owners? The owner's wanted to restore the car because it was his mother's car and he loves his mom so much. And you can just feel how much he loved his mom and how much love his mom had to give to everybody else. They had um, special embroidery done on the back seat that said, wish you were here. And um, she was just the, the driving point. For the whole car, the whole restoration That's, was. I get goosebumps thinking about it. Goodness gracious, I, I think this is a perfect time to launch in to the red line round. And what the red line round is is just five rapid fire questions. There's no right or wrong answer to it. Just whatever pops into your head's the right answer. Are you ready? Okay. Who or yep. what has been your inspiration throughout your journey in the industry? Nick. My husband. Why Nick? What about (laughs) Nick? Besides the obvious reason, he's your husband. I think that he is the most unbelievable person I've ever met. He is so talented and he's so good at what he does. And he believes in what he does. And he believes in me. And he shows me support in every way possible. And he's sacrificed so much to do what we do. And I couldn't do it without him. And he keeps me going. Mm, I love it. Amanda, where do you go or what resources do you use when you want to learn something new or you get stuck on a job? Mike Curley, my mentor. I love that answer. I'd say 99% of the time people say YouTube. And it's almost like a, a dying thing of... This like mentorship. Do you know what I mean? Like it's everyone defaults to YouTube. YouTube can't teach me the things that I need to know though. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. That right. can only come from a lot, a lot of years of experience. Absolutely. I, I totally understand what you're saying. 
What excites you most about what you do? The feeling of accomplishment when it's all done, when I can stand back and look at it and see it all come together in the end. What is a personal habit or practice that helps you significantly in this industry when you feel stuck or discouraged? A personal habit. I take a break. I walk away from it and come back with a clear head and try it again. That is sound advice, my friend. And finally, what is your parting advice to other femcanics finding their way in the skilled trades industry? Don't give up. Ever. If it's something you love, don't give up. I love how simple of a message that is. And it, it sometimes is truly that simple, isn't it? It is. Because you'll always get through it. And then you'll learn something from it. And then you can use that to become even better. And then the next time you're stuck, you'll gain something new. Mm. It reminds me of what my grand... I, I wrote a book about my grandfather called Grandpa's Wisdom. And he always had these one-liners. And what I realized growing up is that I would call him... Not necessarily for him to tell me what I need to do, but just to hear him say, it all mm -hmm. works out. It's all going to be okay. And when I was younger, I didn't believe that. And the more life experience I got and realized and got to see how things started to play out and realized that he's right. It always works out. I love who you are as a person. I can just feel the calmness and the authenticity that just shines through in, in who you are and in this interview. And, and thank you so much for that. Thank you. It's been such an amazing experience to be here. Thank you for this. Absolutely. My honor. And Amanda, where and how can people connect with you? I just created my new website. It's mandamarieuph.com. Or you can find me on Facebook, Manda Maria Polstry, or Instagram. Again, thank you so much for being on the show. It has been an absolute honor having you on here and um, learning a little bit about your journey and kind of pulling the curtains back and what it's like to be a concourse level upholster. <laughs> well, thank you very much. I'm Amanda Bayer from Manda Maria Polstry, and I am a femme canic. Lara, that Porsche girl is in the driver's seat next. She's a former Hollywood precision driver, having doubled actresses like Julia Roberts, Jennifer Conley, Mary Louise Parker, Jennifer Coolidge, and Amanda Pays, just to name a few. Laura has also been featured in Automobile Magazine and hosted the California Festival of Speed. Join me next week as Laura and I discuss how she is working on how to move girls off the hoods of cars and into the driver's seat. Until next time, Femcanics. Thanks for listening to the Femcanic Garage Podcast. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Femcanic Garage. Check out our website, femcanicgarage.com, for swag and the transcribed for each episode. If you want to help, grow this community do me a favor and subscribe rate review 
And most importantly, share this podcast. Spread the word. This is Jamie B. signing off. Are you a femcanic?